Hello, welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and time for another one of our bi-weekly shows where we run down our reading list, tell you what we've been reading, what we think about it, and hopefully uh, have some dialogue with you about uh, anything we're missing, anything that uh, you have to say that we overlook, because there's a lot we overlook. <laughs> that's, that's true. All right, Joe, what have you been reading? This is a rare week. I think I've outpaced you for once. Uh, I, I give myself a gold star and a pat on the back. Uh, but, I think uh, it's been pretty normal lately. But <laughs> I read several things. Uh, I, I have to immediately start off mentioning the epic Miss Hannah is Bananas, continuing Dan Gutman's weird school saga, uh, read with our son. Uh, they're all fun books. I uh, I mentioned it just to say that it's a thing, and if you've got a kid who likes to laugh at silly things and is the elementary school age, they would probably enjoy it, because that's number four. We have stopped now to segue into a little bit of hip-hop-related reading, as we often do from now and again, but... Uh, I like to read silly things. I need to read these books, but you you're always, you guys always have them electronically, don't you? We do, okay. yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know... Had fun with Gutman and in more serious reading. I did finish James Madison, A Son of Virginia and a Founder of the Nation by Jeff Broadwater, continuing my plan at the snail's pace that I moved to read a biography of every president. So that's four down. I'm impressed with you. Well, I, I feel like I might deserve it here because the first three <laughs> were, were such remarkable people who lived very exciting lives. James Madison was kind of a dull little man who... Wrote some great documents and letters, but there wasn't a whole ton to say about his exciting life. Everybody, even in his time, I think, acknowledged that his wife was the more interesting of, of the couple of them. Oh, yeah. I remember when I was a kid reading a biography of her. Yeah. And, in and the little, like in those little kid biographies. So. It, it's funny. Madison, of all the guys who, who were the founding fathers, Madison might be the one who seems the most unlikely just because he was, he was tiny. He was five foot four, the shortest of the Don't presidents. Don't talk about short people. Well, but he was this sickly <laughs> little man who, you know, for part of his life, I think everybody just kind of sat around and waited for poor little Jimmy to die off because he couldn't possibly do anything. And then, you know, he wrote the Constitution and became the president. So he had a pretty good run. Overcoming the odds. He really did. Uh, Broadwater did a good job. It's just Madison, not unlike Jefferson, the, the gold standard of them so far has been the John Adams biography by David McCullough, just because Adams left behind you know, such detailed correspondence really got some insight into him as a person. Uh, don't really get that with Madison. So, you know, if I'm a little lukewarm, I think it's the result of a, a lukewarm historical trail he left. I think the lesson that comes out of all of this is that um, our paper trails are important. Now, if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna write the Constitution and, and be the president, then yes, you you definitely want to keep all your old papers. Um, and then some sports stuff. I do a lot of this. It's it's what I like, but it's also what I'm working on myself right now. So three very different books, a book that I had gotten as a gift called Gods at Play by Tom Callahan. Tom Callahan used to write for Time, and it's very much an old sports writer book, all kind of insider story and backstage stuff. And as an end result, it really wasn't what I bargained for. I thought I was going to get like profiles of the exceptional people, and I kind of did. 
but he would jump around a lot. It felt like a very uneven... It it was a sports book that in like 1972 would have been on the New York Times bestseller list. This one went very slowly for you. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of clunky. I mean, it's great stories. It just, it it felt poorly organized and... Hmm. He struggled with interjecting himself a lot into the stories, which also felt kind of clunky. I, I don't know. It just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, a reread for me from years ago, Baseball in 41 by Robert Kramer, and I believe Mr. Kramer's passed on since. He wrote this book in 1991, which is about the time that I read it. So it had been a few years. Uh, but What made you read it again? Well, mostly that it was available for me to listen to, but... Oh. Uh, no, I remembered it as a good book, and actually, uh, my friend Justin McGuire at Baseball by the Book uh, was doing a bonus episode on this very book, and I thought, that was pretty good. Let's try it again. It was even better than I remembered it. Uh, Kramer does the thing that, that writers do, where they pick a moment in time and work from there, but I'll give him credit. Uh, unlike Callahan, he interjects himself kind of from page one, because it's a story about 1941, not just about baseball in 1941. And when you say 1941, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Not baseball, just in life. 1941. World War II. Exactly. And yet, Pearl Harbor is December the 7th. That's really not representative of 1941. Uh, and, and so there was a lot of depth. He added a lot of information. He was a young man then, uh, and he kind of fills out 1941 and then tells the great baseball stories. Ted Williams was the last 400 hitter that year. Joe DiMaggio had the all-time hitting streak. The Brooklyn Dodgers won the pennant. Uh, There's a lot of baseball to talk about, but there's a lot period to talk about. And just a a really entertaining read, one I definitely recommend. And if you are a a, a fellow enjoyer of baseball by the the book. Books about baseball. Yeah, well, and I was specifically talking about the Baseball by the Book podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, because of that, uh, that bonus episode, if you are a Patreon follower, you, you can get these bonus episodes and you can hear uh, undoubtedly more erudite and, and learned uh, expounding upon the glories of baseball in 41. Well, what I was thinking was if you like books about baseball, that's the podcast for you. Oh, it, it definitely is. If you, if you haven't checked it out, uh, Run, Don't Walk. It is excellent. It really is. And then the... Last of the group was a book called Sprawl Ball by Kirk Goldsberry. And this is kind of the opposite of the Gods at Play book because I came to this with very minor expectations. But the more I read, the more fascinated I was by it. Um, Sprawl Ball is about pro basketball. But it's about pro basketball in the way that Moneyball is about baseball. Um, it's really about market efficiency and inefficiency and the way that pro basketball has essentially, the roots of pro basketball lie in seven-foot behemoths who dominated the game, Wilt Chamberlain and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and if you go far enough back, George Mikan. But pro basketball has changed. They put in the three-point shot, and now it's dominated by six-foot-nothing guys who pop three-pointers all the day. Uh, But it's interesting. First, Goldsberry kind of brings you the history here, and he has great graphics. This is a phenomenal book graphically. Uh, if you, like me, can get bogged down in numbers and how many points per possession this is worth, this is great because he's like, here, look at this. Let me show you. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's, that's a really cool graphic. A lot of great graphics in here. Um, but ultimately, 
What's fascinating is he presents the problem, which is the three-pointer has kind of thrown basketball out of whack and changed the game completely. But then he's like, okay, it's, it's great to have this, this like market efficiency idea where teams have determined that three-pointers are the key to life. But now if we're going to be responsible as the caretakers of pro basketball, and he actually works in pro basketball, we got to fix it. And that's where I'm like, wow, this, this is next-level stuff. Because it's one thing like Moneyball to say, ooh, there are market inefficiencies and smart people find the better answers and make money and win games because of it. It's another one to be like, hey, let's fix the game. Let's even the field again. I'm like, wow, this is deep stuff. So, I mean, if, if you're not a fairly hardcore sports nut, I don't know that this will get your heart racing. Again, I wasn't expecting a lot from it, but what I found was an incredibly like well-thought-out next-level I mean, again, it's not just like, ooh, there are market inefficiencies in basketball. Uh, smart teams are, are, are relying on them. It's like there are market inefficiencies, and we need to fix basketball to take out the inefficiencies, and maybe maybe if the three-point line moves back two feet or you know, stuff like that. I loved it. I was totally blown away. It's a quick read. It's only it came in about 300-ish pages, but, again, a lot of pictures, a lot of really cool graphics. Um, it goes pretty quick. You were talking about it at dinner tonight, and you and the kids got all excited about it. <laughs> I love the way you say that, as if market inefficiency in sports is not a topic that, that enthralls you quite the way that it does the rest of us. I just I found it very interesting the way the kids got into it, and you guys had this whole dialogue about possibilities and things that could change and history. These are just things that I don't know anything about, and so therefore it's n- it doesn't get me as excited as it gets you, but I really, really enjoyed listening to the three of you talk about that. Well, there's this kind of mythology that sports rules are, are you know, uh, holier than holy. And they're not. They're products of a game, and the game constantly evolves. And the, the kind of backwater conversation here is like, how do we fix the game? What happens if suddenly four balls aren't a walk and three strikes aren't an out, or the pitcher's mound is 61 feet six inches away instead of 60 feet six inches away. What kills the integrity of your game versus what makes your game more competitive, more exciting? Yeah, I could, I could talk about it but for weeks as you laugh at me for my nerdness. No, I'm just laughing because when you said what happens if the pitcher's mound gets moved, whatever, back, and I thought I'm still going to sleep through the game. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. The truth hurts. What can I say? <laughs> anyway. But I thought that this book sounded really, really good. More like in some ways almost kind of a philosophy sort of thing about possibility and what could happen. And I thought that sounded really fun. Yeah, it, it does open interesting doors. The the picks of my group would be Sprawlball by Kirk Goldsberry uh, and Baseball in 41. If, if you want something a little less intellectual, a little more historical, Again, baseball in 41, there's, there's great baseball here, but it was really cool to get more insight into what the world was like in 1941. I think that kind of thing is really cool. So tell me about what you've been reading. I read three books over these past two weeks. The first one is Between Two Kingdoms by Suleika Jawad, and this is a book that I wasn't really sure about when I started it. I can't even remember where I heard about it. I was on a, a book blog or a podcast or something, maybe Instagram, heard somebody mention this book. And I snapped it right up. Um, Suleika was just graduated from college. She'd gone to Paris. She'd gotten a grown-up job. Um, Her boyfriend had just moved to Paris to be with her when she got very, very sick. 
And as it turned out, she had um, a leukemia that was very rare. She had to come home. And the book chronicles um, her journey through illness and on through to the other side. And then at the end of the book, which the end is one of the reasons that I picked it up, I thought that it would be more about this ending than the journey through cancer. Um, because one of the things that she did while she had cancer was kept a, um, she started a blog and uh, got the attention of the New York Times. She had a column with them and many, many people wrote to her. So as she moved on into remission, she took a road trip around the country, just her and her dog, and met many of the people who had written to her. So the book really felt split into two parts, but I surprised myself. Like I was equally fascinated by both parts. She is a wonderful writer. She wrote about cancer in a way that I had never seen anybody write about cancer before, um, very honestly, very vulnerably. Um, she seemed to really write about herself very honestly, too, in the good and the bad, um, both in her reactions and her dealing with other people. And um, you know, cancer is something that we don't always like to talk about. I had a grandfather who died of cancer. It's a scary disease. Um, it, it's not something people want to dwell on. And yet reading this book, there was... there. I don't want to say that there's just so much beauty in the pain and suffering or any of that, but the fact that life is life and it keeps going on, no matter what else is happening, there was just this resilience of spirit that That's it, yeah. made its way all the way through this book. And um, I just, I, it knocked me over, absolutely knocked me over. And I loved this book. I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's like, is is suffering redemptive? Of course not. No. Suffering is suffering. Suffering sucks, for lack of a better term. But that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of grace that can be found during it, within it. And I guess just thinking about, yeah, there's no way to really look at this and be like, oh, here's the greater meaning in it. Mm -hmm. But this is my life right now. This is what I have been handed. So here's what it looks like, and here's what it means to me. And I just found it all fascinating and um, really just wonderful. Well, kind of profound that, that this book comes out and hits a massive wave of success, just as many of us have had to kind of, I mean, in a much smaller way than, than being diagnosed with cancer, but we've all kind of had to call an audible on everything in, in these last months and now more than a year. So so probably probably didn't hurt the book's success any, I would well, suspect. Well, I just highly recommend it completely. Yeah. Don't expect a light read, um, but expect um, a profound read. I like that word that you use, very profound. The last two books that I read over these two weeks were both rereads for me. Um, I've been rereading a lot. There were a lot of years where I didn't reread at all, ever. I just go buy a new book or go to the library or whatever. There's always so many books that I wanted to read. But then pandemic hit and my um, avenues for getting new books were not as easily available. <laughs> and I pulled a bunch of things off the shelf that I had meant to reread for years and then just fell in love with them all over again. So I have tried to um, make more space in my reading life for rereading and I am remembering why. It was so enjoyable. When I was a kid, I would finish a book and turn right back around to the beginning and read it all over again if I'd really loved the book. Um, and I reread anything that I loved so many times. 
But not having done that, I'd forgotten all the things that you notice, all the layers of meaning that a book takes on, all the ways that a book can grow with you if you read it again. And that has been just a really rewarding process. Yeah, the way you pick up things maybe that you missed the first time or that they resonate differently with you at a different point in your life. I, I don't think I'm the same as the like 12 or 13 year old kid who read uh, baseball in 41 back then. So, <laughs> so it was a little different. Yeah. So, well, so the first one I reread is called Come and Eat and it's by Brie McCoy. I am an absolutely huge Brie McCoy fan. Um, You're not the only one. Dad Gummit, <laughs> Brie McCoy just, just makes our life better. She does. She's on Instagram. She's one of my favorite follows on Instagram at Brie McCoy. She is just human sunshine. She is. And so whenever I'm like playing one of her stories or um, her IGTV, like Joe will even, you'll even listen in and, and laugh. And like the kids will even be like, oh, mom's listening to Brie McCoy again. Um, she mostly does cooking stuff. That's her. That's really her platform. And come and eat, obviously. Um, it has a lot of recipes, but Come and Eat is a book about hospitality. Um, it is about figuring out who you are in Jesus so that you can offer that person to other people. Um, and, and she focuses on food here. She really feels like anybody ought to be able to do that, um, which... That's been a stumbling block for well, me. Well, I for love a long this time. idea that, that there's like a, a bare competency. You know, I mean, no, nobody wants to poison everybody. Nobody wants to be the relative who has everybody over and serves them something that makes them sick. I mean, you know, so. <laughs> and the ironic thing about it is that for me, I have loved to cook for years. Like, I really enjoy cooking. Yeah. Um, now, I have reached a whole new level of enjoying to cook over the past year, but I've always, I like, I really like to cook, but I didn't necessarily want to always invite people over. For me to cook for them. If we were going to have people over, I wanted to order something. And I, I can't totally even explain what that was about. But as I reread this book, I, the thing that struck me the most about it was where she talked about you find your identity in God. You figure out the gifts and talents that he's given you. And then you figure out how to use those to feed other people. So, you know, one of the things it, for me is I have a very demanding job. I'm very busy at my work. So I don't always have time to come home and cook something huge to share with people. Mm -hmm. we got to kind of plan that. I mean. Yeah, but I, with, with the talents and abilities I have, it really wouldn't hurt me to, you know, like I can, I can share those on the weekends. I can make those plans ahead of time. Yeah. And there's really also nothing wrong with ordering a pizza and saying, I'm really tired tonight, come have a pizza. You know, we can all share somehow within food. She talks about how Jesus ate with people and that that's our, our model to follow. And so I really thoroughly enjoyed this book. Love Brie McCoy on Instagram. I have taken some of her cooking classes. She's amazing all the way through. Um, you should just check her out. Okay, last one. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it is People We Meet on Vacation by Emily Henry, and I'm pretty sure I talked about it two weeks ago. It's one of the <laughs> ones I just turned around and read again. I was between library holds, and I had books coming in the mail, but nothing had come yet. So I picked this thing up, and I just whipped through it again, and I enjoyed it just as much the second time as I did the first time. It is just such a fun read. So that's what I read. No shame in that. Well, the, the joint book, we said last time it was probably going to be, and actually we kind of knew it was going to be because I was reading it when we recorded the last one, and boy, I finished it not long after. It's not as fresh as it could be because... I finished this like 12 days ago. Because you couldn't put it down. I couldn't. Mother May I by Jocelyn Jackson. All right. Jocelyn Jackson is one of my all-time favorite authors. 
Um, I'm going to try really hard not to repeat a lot of what I said on the last podcast about her, but I was first introduced to her writing shortly after her first book came out when I had a Barnes & Noble gift card to spend, and I didn't know what to buy, and you picked her book up in Barnes & Noble, and you said, this author sounds like you. And we were going to Florida, and I inhaled that book. Um, it was amazing. Mostly what she has written, and she's got seven or eight books out now, um, they have mostly been Southern fiction, but her last book and then this book are both thrillers, so it's a departure for her. Um, we love Jocelyn Jackson because whether she's writing Southern fiction or thrillers, the writing is always impeccable. Uh, she's a gorgeous writer. Sure. Um, the characters, you always love them. Um, and the scenarios that she sets up, the stakes are high. You care about what's going to happen. And they're always funny. Like, they're, yeah, she, they're the funniest stories. She can deliver these, yeah. And, and it can be the most, like, absurd, off-the-wall thing, but it's utterly plausible. I mean, one of the things we were, we were talking about as we got ready to record was... You know, I know she works really hard at this, but she's so smooth at it. It mm -hmm. just feels like it flows. And, and and she used to have a blog um, years ago that I would read, and she would talk about, you know, I've been in bed for three days trying to finish this book. It's like any other author. It yeah. doesn't, but she makes it sound so good. She makes it sound so easy. She's not afraid to tackle heavy topics. Um, the Gods in Alabama dealt with rape. Uh, another book dealt with domestic violence. Um, another book dealt with um, racism. Mm -hmm. That was the Almost Sisters. Yeah. And then um, this one also. Well, I don't want to say all the different things this yeah, one goes into yeah. because we don't want to do any spoilers. Because but. it's 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 a thriller. It's a page turner. And, and I don't use that pejoratively. Not a genre of book I often read. But when I do read it, it's because it's an author that I trust like this. Yeah. And it's... Whew, and it, it was a page turner. Now, I, I have to break from all the important stuff to, to name drop because what is the internet for if not to name drop and to tell connected stories? But after you had read, say, five of her books, I am at the eye doctor one day. <laughs> and I love my eye doctor. And he, he's a great older gentleman. Um, we, we could talk about anything and generally do. But we are talking, and, and we're talking about writing, as I myself dabble in that fine art. And he says, you know, my daughter's sister-in-law is a writer. And I'm like, no, uh, really? What, what's her name? Maybe I've heard of her. And he said, oh, it's Jocelyn Jackson. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, yeah, I got a shelf full of her books at home. So, yes, my eye doctor's daughter married Jocelyn's <laughs> brother. Well, and you also love Jocelyn Jackson because about that time is when you bought me her newest book for Christmas mm -hmm. and you had it signed. Yeah, I, I emailed her to, to say. Yeah, what you wanted. Luke, and you didn't even tell her what you wanted to say, just who I was and like why I like her writing or something. I don't sure. know. But yeah. I have many, many signed books by this point in my life, but this was my favorite inscription ever. I mean, she's just thoughtful. She's kind. Wonderful all the way through. She's good people, and, and we have provided proof yet again of the old axiom that if you get two Southerners <laughs> talking long enough, they find out that they're all related to each other somehow. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean. All right. So um, I think I said last time, too, that there's kind of a contract that I go into her books with. This was one of the books 
let me back up. I'll tell you what it's about. Then I'll say this other part. Okay. Last time when we talked about this, I said that this book began when Brie woke up one morning and out her window, she saw a witch looking in at them. And shortly after that, her baby went missing. Obviously, this is an old woman who looks like a witch, but her baby's missing. And now she has to figure out what this old woman wants so that she can get her baby back. That's about all I can tell without giving away all the craziness that's going to happen. In yeah, story. I feel bad to give away anything, but I'm like, most of that is on page one. Yeah. So, okay, okay. So, I knew Jocelyn Jackson was coming out with a new book, and I could not wait to read it. So, I pull up the description online, and I see that her baby is going to get stolen. And I remember saying to you, I don't think I can read this book. As a mom, like, I did not yeah. want to get invested in that kind of story. It was too horrible. Right. But I trust this author. And I also trust the way she writes her books. I'm not going to say there's a pattern, because there's not a pattern. But there she are, has a strong sense of justice. Yes, there are things that you can count on with her. Justice is big in every single book, even though it may not be justice the way the law describes it. <laughs> um, yeah. She depends very heavily on her good guys. You know, you can count on the good guys in her stories. And then um, you can count on, yeah, let, let's just leave it at that. Justice <laughs> and the good guys. It's hard not to give spoilers because we want to be like, oh my gosh, we want, we got to tell them. It. And no, so no, you can't. when I wasn't really sure <laughs> that I wanted to get into a story about a baby stealing, I remembered that stuff and she did not let me down. This book was awesome. Just compulsive page turner of a book. Again, I, I don't read a lot of books like this and maybe it's because if I did, I'd never do anything else. I mean, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want to put this book down. Uh, and I did only after it was finished. So yeah. Mad props to, to her and, uh, and my eye doctor. <laughs> <laughs> if you have never read anything by Jocelyn Jackson, I always recommend starting with Gods in Alabama. It's her first book. Yeah. It will always be my favorite. Um, the Almost Sisters was pretty special. And then Mother May I is right up there with them. You need yeah. to read it. I think this was the third of hers I've read. I haven't, I haven't been as exhaustive. Um, but I, I remember God's in Alabama, I think maybe between, between Georgia. Between Georgia. I think that yeah. was her second one, and so and I think you read that one too. So, so yeah, but at some point I might read the rest. They're certainly uh, pleasant reading and, and something I enjoyed. Now, uh, my time to torture you, and you talked about rereading. <laughs> and for rereading, some would say that it is the best of times. Some others might say that it was the worst of times because that's right. We're going into the back pages, not of Hemingway this time, but of one of our favorite Brits, Master Charles Dickens. I love Charles Dickens so much, but I had never read A Tale of Two Cities. So for our next podcast, that is the one that we're going to be going into together. If you have read that book, um, let us know what you think about it. Um, anything that you think we should be watching for as we read. Joe's read it before. I have not. And if you have not read it, consider reading if you have any interest in dickens consider reading it with us over these two weeks and then you know giving us your impressions before we all gather together next sunday night to discuss what we thought of this book it is one of the shorter ones in his canon um it, it's of course a great historical novel and i dug it the first time i was like we should do it again but, of course, I'm still reading it now, too. I'm about a third of the way in. But it, it's everything I remember it being. Uh, 
So let that be a, a good tagline <laughs> on my advertisement for it. If you have thoughts about this book, you can email us at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com. You can send us a DM or leave us a comment on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod or on Twitter at... Pbackreaderspod. There you go. Because you can't put all of Paperback Readers Pod. Yeah. yeah. That's why it's the letter P back Readers Pod. Sorry. So we're looking forward to hearing what you have to say, what you think about this, and as always, what you think that we should be reading next. Thanks for listening, and until next time, keep reading.